Hello once again, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Lancet Gastroenterology and Hepatology podcast in conversation with I'm Hugh Thomas, the Deputy Editor. In this episode, we're discussing the Vidikid study, a prospective cohort study done in a number of countries assessing the safety, effectiveness, and dosing of fedalizumab in children with IBD. This paper appears in our January 2023 issue and is available online now. Joining me to talk through the paper is the corresponding author, Professor Dan Turner. Professor Turner is head of the Julia Caden Institute of Pediatric Gastroenterology and Nutrition at Shah Zedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. Professor Turner, thank you very much for joining me today and welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. So to kick us off then and just set the scene for everyone, what is important for us to know about how IBD in children differs from IBD in adults, uh, for instance, around disease course or management considerations? So um, on average, uh, I, uh, pediatric I, uh, onset IBD is uh, characterized by uh, much more extensive disease, both in ulcerative colitis and in Crohn disease. So for instance, a panenteric uh, disease, meaning that the involvement of the colon and the small bowel and the upper GI uh, is, I wouldn't say rarely seen, but uh, uh, maybe uh, 15, 20% of uh, adult patients can manifest this way, where it's about 40% in their children. In ulcerative colitis, about 70% of children will have pancolitis versus only 30 or 40% in adults. And therefore, it's very consistent that the disease course in children, on average, is more severe than seen in adult onset disease. Uh, children require twice as often biologic, have more frequent uh, steroid dependency uh, and uh, admissions. And that's, that has been consistently reported in cohorts throughout the globe. Um, with that, we need to also to emphasize a specific age group. It's called very early onset IBD or uh, VOIBD. And VOIBD is uh, less the age of uh, six. And these are manifested by more frequent rate of uh, uh, genetic alterations, monogenetic alterations that is mimicking IBD, but it's more like immune suppression. And these, these patients are very difficult to treat. Uh, they need to undergo whole exome sequencing or whole genomic sequencing in order to find the, the genetic alteration. And this is more common in infantile onset IBD, less than the age of uh, two. So uh, having said all that, uh, you, we have to acknowledge that the biology of IBD is similar in children and adults, and there is no uh, one precedent of a drug working in adults with IBD not working in children. So there are two things that we cannot extrapolate from adults. One is the dosing, the other one is safety, and there are other other age-specific uh, age considerations such as poverty, uh, growth, emotional issues uh, that are associated with uh, with Crohn disease and uh, uh, all and uh, in general to that age group. Certainly, uh, I mean, you touched on it a bit briefly there with regards to the treatment. What are the kind of the current treatment options available for children with IBD? And obviously, there's there are certain issues around getting new treatments through. Uh, what what are the major ones that are stopping us developing these new treatments so that children have better access to effective and and obviously, importantly, safe therapies. So unfortunately, now on average, it takes about 10 years after the registration of a new drug in adults to be labeled 
uh, in children. So what we do, we just treat off-label immediately any drug which is uh, registered in adults. And that's not a good situation, but this is our reality. In some countries, this is more difficult for funding issues. Uh, and also, we don't have the good data about safety, about dosing, and uh, let's take vedolizumab for for instance. I mean, it has been approved in adults a uh, long time ago for uh, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, but in children, we are only the only now finished the phase two trial and are just now in the midst of the phase three trial. It take ages until we know what happens with the uh, uh, with that drug in uh, children. Moreover, if you look at industry initiated. Uh, registration trials, they are very focused to the labeling of the drug. So not often you will get the full breadth of data that pediatricians actually need in order to know how to, to use that drug, in, especially in the youngest uh, age group. Great. And now that brings us on to Fedalizumab itself, the, the anti-integrin biologic that you're investigating in VidaKids. What were the knowns and particularly the unknowns around that drug for paediatric patients? I mean, you've touched on that, you know, we've only just got the phase two data through. Um, but back when you started the Vidikid study, I think you enrolled the first child back in 2016. What, what was the situation there with regards to the drug? So we had, uh, we, it just has been available in adults. People will start using it already in children, but we had no idea how to use it and how to dose uh, since then, there is the phase two trial from uh, Takeda is already available, but then they only compared two dosing in the entire age group. So again, we are unsure whether the uh, in the very young age, the, the 20 kilos, the 25 kilos, do we need to treat uh, uh, to dose specifically by body surface area, by kilo, uh, kilogram, or, or can we dose by strata? and also the safety. I mean, the, the, these trials are small trials, and in the trials, there are very few patients in the lower uh, age group. Uh, so we aim to do a real-world, uh, prospective, international, multi-center uh, cohort study. So if we're going to treat these patients off-label, let's do it when we learn something about the drug. So any of the sites of the Porto Group and beyond that we're using vedolizumab for any reason, but not uh, after surgery, we're enrolled in the VedoKids. So quite, quite quickly, we managed to enroll a sizable cohort of 142 children with IBD, uh, followed, uh, now followed through one year uh, and beyond, but now we have the 14-week data already published and uh, to understand now also serum and microbiome and proteomics and to really understand in depth uh, how patients uh, respond not only by clinical remission but also on the biologic level uh, to vedolizumab and to find predictors, TDM, and the best dosing in these patients. Wonderful. So obviously a lot of investigations going on in this study. What do you take home as those headline clinical findings uh, from the Vida Kids study? Um, well, on the first uh, superficial level and the low-hanging fruits, we can see that the drug is effective in children as well. So we have a reasonably high rate of uh, clinical remission, steroid-free remission. In children, we use a lot of exclusive enteral nutrition in Crohn's. So when we say steroid-free, we also say EN-free uh, uh, remission. Uh, 
Uh, we also present the rate of biologic remission of fecal calprotectin and CRP. We see that these rates are higher in ulcerative colitis than in prone disease. I think this has been uh, suggested before, but this is the first time that we have very good evidence that this might be worthwhile more in ulcerative colitis, but just as good in prone. The second point that was very interesting and quite new to us, that the response was uh, more rapid than we used to think, because we thought from Gemini 1 and 2 and 3 that in Crohn's disease, it might take even six months until you get maximum effect of the drug. What we saw that as soon as as uh, two weeks and six weeks, already there is response, and uh, the ones that uh, responded uh, at six weeks, that predicted remission at 14 weeks, and those who did not respond at six weeks uh, low likelihood that they will respond by week 14. So I think the response with vedolizumab is a little bit shorter in a real-life uh, prospective cohort than uh, suggested uh, previously. The third uh, point, which was very uh, interesting, is to find the best, uh, the best uh, dose. We did that by doing a exposure response analysis. We looked at the one that uh, achieved steroid and EN free remission at week 14, and we analyzed their uh, drug levels. And we uh, uh, realized that those with drug level over seven at week 14, these are the patients that are more likely to achieve remission at week 14. And then we went back to the dosing, to the dose exposure uh, curve, and analyzed that per kilo and body surface area and age and realized that we have a very clear pattern. And the pattern is that the best thing is to dose these patients based on body surface area, and that's 200 milligram per meter square. And if you want to make it uh, easier, it's okay also to dose uh, per kilo, and then the dose will be 10 milligram per kilo. And that means that uh, at 30 kilos and above, you can use an adult dose of 300 milligram per infusion. The same thing like Takeda uh, uh, suggested in the phase two trial. So it all fitted in very nicely. Uh, we were quite encouraged by the, by the data. We looked also at predictors, and we found that both in ulcerative colitis and Crohn's, so early response to the drug by two and six weeks, were, were the strongest predictors of... Uh, of remission at week 14, and that could be based on clinical uh, uh, factors, just like in the PUCAI, the Pediatric UC Activity Index, which is a simple six-question clinical uh, score uh, in ulcerative colitis and the weighted Pediatric Crohn's Disease Activity Index in, uh, in, uh, in Crohn's disease. We also find the mini-index. The mini is the mucosal inflammation non-invasive index, which has been validated in a few courts in children that, uh, that includes CRP and clinical uh, data on stooling pattern and calprotectin. And so it mimics uh, endoscopic uh, uh, activity, and that also was a strong predictor of response. Great. Uh, it's really a huge amount of data derived from this study already and, and so much more still to come as well, clearly. What do these findings then mean for clinical care of children with IBD, if you, if you were to summarise that? Uh, and what data do we still need? Um, so uh, uh, to one end, we know now who are the patients that are more likely to respond to vedolizumab in children. In the youngest age group, that were very few 
in the phase two trial and the retrospective and uh, uh, cohorts that were previously. Now we have better knowledge how to dose these patients, and that should come as a little surprise because the curve of uh, of dosing per kilos and levels in the blood is not linear under the weight of 30 kilos. And that has been shown in other biologics and also small molecules as well, even with steroids in the study of nephrotic syndrome. So the body surface area way of looking at small as younger children is easier. And with vedolizumab that you can give IV formulation, uh, it's quite uh, flexible and easy uh, uh, to do. Um, still, the youngest age group are difficult to enroll. And even in video case, this uh, population was too small. And I think we need more data to understand this youngest age group and do, do they have specific uh, predictors? Do they, is their outcome is different uh, than the older one? And we need to combine in the end the different cohorts together into, to get a, a really nice, uh, a big, uh, a large population of the youngest age group. And the final uh, and the final thing, obviously, this uh, the published article was only through week fourteen. We need uh, long term data, and we are still following the patient. We finished our uh, six months uh, mark, and we submitted that uh, uh, will be presented in Echo and Espegan uh, this uh, year. And we are now looking at the microbiome. Very interesting results in uh, um, in collaboration with our Scottish uh, colleagues. Uh, microbiome, metabolomics, proteomics. Uh, can we do a multi-omics pattern of uh, the patients that are going to respond nicely to vedolizumab, and then we can select the right patients to that cohort? And all, all of this is a work in progress. Brilliant. That sounds absolutely fascinating. We look forward to those data coming out uh, in due course. Be very exciting. Uh, Professor Turner, thank you very much for joining us and taking us through the Vidicus study and for giving us your time today. You can read the paper on the Vudicid study online now at thelancet.com. Thank you to Professor Turner, and thank you for listening to another episode of the Lancet Gastroenterology and Hepatology podcast, In Conversation With. Remember, you can subscribe to In Conversation With wherever you usually get your podcasts. Music